This episode is sponsored by Kangaroo Jack Fitness, personal training that goes above and beyond to get the best results for you. I'm just going to have a drink of water first. I realised I didn't bring my bottle to work today and I have not had a drink since like 8.45 this morning. Yeah, so parched. (laughs) (laughs) Well well played. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's another episode of the Game Time Podcast. This week, we're back to Premier League action with a little bit of championship stuff too. Tim's on here. Tim, how you doing? Hello, I'm good, thanks. And the prodigal son returns. How long's it been since you've been on here, mate? It's been too long, mate. Too long. It's good to be back, though, and good to, good to speak to you both. Tom Coley, of course, is back. We're not going to talk about Bournemouth, though, just because you're back on the pod. I'm oh, we gonna, did I'm win. Gonna... Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. <laughs> I can't, I can't say we did, and neither can Tim. So maybe we should no. talk about Bournemouth. <laughs> I, I, it, it may be coincidental that the whole time I haven't been on, I don't think Bournemouth have won a game. So <laughs> <laughs> you, you did this. You knew what yeah. you were doing. Yeah. Oh, I'm free. I'm free today, guys. Oh yeah, today's a good day. <laughs> Look how that turned out. Oh, what a, what a start to this pod. Right, let, let's kick it off, though, with, with one of our teams not winning. It's going to be Manchester United. The wheels well and truly ripped off of a, of a very good week for Manchester United with Arsenal beating them 2-0. I know me and Tom have, have had a chat about this uh, off-air, so to speak, with, with some of the decisions that we'll get on to. But, Tim, what did you think of, of the game in general? And what did you think of the maybe controversial way in which Arsenal won the game. De Gea is an idiot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I, imagine, I imagine we'll get on to that in a minute. I mean, best goalkeeper in the world, my ass. if you can't say that. No, I think um, Arsenal probably deserves to win it the way he played. I know Manchester United had God knows how many injuries. Um, and like you've just got Pogba back. Martial came on in the second half. Um, but like Lingard's out. Um, he's, he could be huge for you. And you're missing so many players, but like, Arsenal's just showed more desire um, and just played better. And when you've got um, players like Lacazette and Aubameyang on form, you know, that you're always going to struggle. Admittedly, like Lukaku probably should have scored a hat-trick, but um, yeah. he, he didn't, uh, unfortunately for you. But um, it's a tough one. But to be honest, I'd rather have United won because that means that we could have caught up easier. But um, unfortunately not. Me and you both, Tim. Me and you both. <laughs> <laughs> well, so... Tom, what are your thoughts on the uh, on the David De Gea first goal? We'll get on to the penalty incidents because I think we've probably all got differing ideas of if it was a penalty or not. But but David De Gea got absolutely done in by by like a slice shot from Granite Xhaka. Do you think he should have done better, or, or have you got sympathy for the goalie? Uh, it's, it's a combination of both. I think he should he should have saved it. If, it, if it's a goal, if it's a shot that goes down the middle of the goal uh, and he doesn't save it, there has to be questions asked to the goalkeeper. But equally, I think the closing down on Xhaka himself, I think Fred was. Looked like he half-heartedly stuck out a leg, but there, there wasn't that sort of pressure on the ball. 
And I think mm. a lot of the times when you see these type of goals going from the edge of the box, maybe not this type of easy goal as in quotation marks, you do see the keepers sort of kicking off at their defenders a lot, saying, well, why aren't you closing them down? Why aren't you closing them down? And I think there is a level of responsibility with the defenders in front of the hair. But I think as well, I think the big thing's probably just been the shock because you're so used to him making extraordinary saves that when he maybe doesn't make a simple one, it is quite surprising. And, and it sort of goes back to the World Cup in uh, last year when, when he had a, a poor performance for Spain um, in Russia as well. But I, it's, it's, it's one of those, uh, he, he gets you so many points that you sort of let him get off a couple of those ones, don't you? Yeah, it did spin wickedly at the last minute. He probably... I think his issue is the fact that he tries to to prejudge it and he he goes too much to one side and then just gets done in an absolute treat. But Man United did create chances. Lukaku probably should have scored in the first few minutes, but he hit the bar and then Leno had an absolutely great game. But but Arsenal took it in the end with, and I'm going to say controversial penalty because I think that's fair to say. I thought it was a penalty. I know Tom thinks that, Wait, no, that's not true. I Yeah, I thought it was a penalty. What the fuck am I talking about? I've got mental. <laughs> I know that I thought it was a penalty. I know Tom thinks that it wasn't a penalty. Tim, what are your thoughts on it? I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> Great. The tiebreaker absolutely ruined. Um, who was it? I've literally completely forgotten. <laughs> so I'll, let me set the scene for you with my words. Uh, Alexander Lacazette picks the ball up in the Manchester United half. He wriggles away from a couple of tackles. He surges into the box where Fred outstretches a Brazilian right arm, nudges him in the back. Lacazette goes over and the ref points to the oh, spot. Oh, I remember. Yeah, it was very weak. Um, you, you've seen them given, but um, I don't know. I think if you're going you're gonna to sort of eliminate that sort of thing from the game, you've got to be you've got to call up on um, anything that's timid um, to stop mm. players actually doing it if, if they will or not we don't know but um, like I mean he didn't have to go down so I think you know it's harsh but I don't think it would have affected the end result too much um, no. but I don't know I think oh, VAR is, for these things is just so important um, for the you know, referee to actually go back and have a look at it as a, in sort of hindsight um, and then he might have given it he might not he might have seen that it was a bit weak or he might have decided that you know, he need, he does want to be you know pull people up on that and um, actually award it so that they stop doing it because I think the next time Fred's in that situation in about six months time when he next gets his start uh, <laughs> next start uh, he might think twice about doing it. Yeah, no, I agree. I think me and Tom had this discussion and and we can probably talk about it now as well because then the listeners actually understand what we're talking about and I'm not just making some weird inside <laughs> jokes, but. I thought it was a penalty on the basis that Fred seems to put his arm in Lacazette's back. And if the referee sees that, then I can see why he's given it. Tom, you, you said that it was because he stepped across Lacazette, didn't you? Well, I didn't see their push in the back. So I, I from behind the angle, I saw a, a view of it, I guess, on, on, um, on Sky. And, and it looks to me from behind that Fred steps across the striker and maybe look, it looks like he makes more contact than he actually does. So on, on that basis, when you, if you were to look back at it in replays and, and eventually use VAR, I don't think it would have been given. But if, mm. if you were saying there was a push in the back um, and, and that is what the referee saw, then fair enough. But it did seem to be... Uh, I'd be very impressed if that was the case because it didn't look like there was any consultation with the linesman. Um, mm. So it must have been the ref spotting it. But it, when I saw it... I just thought if that was given against my team, I'd be very frustrated. So I, 
I didn't think it was a penalty at the time. Bournemouth win enough penalties that it doesn't really matter if you get <laughs> get penalties against you. Yeah. Though, um, before we before we move on from the Arsenal game, it, it does spice up the race for top four now. Uh, Arsenal jump into fourth spot, two points ahead of Manchester United. Who do we think is going to occupy that spot come the end of the season? Tim, do you think Arsenal can hang on to it, or will there be a late surge from from the Red Devils or somebody else? I mean, so Chelsea are three points behind them with a goal in a sort of game in hand. Um, admittedly, the goal difference is sort of five, so we 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 need to win by uh, five goals to actually make it up to fourth. But um, you know, we seem to be in a bit of form. I mean, right, we drew to Wolves, but we had like fourteen shots <laughs> and they had one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, I don't know why you're laughing. You lost, Danny. Um, but, I don't care. <laughs> but, like, I don't know. We're in with a chance. It's just... It, it's very difficult to tell how Sarri's actually going to play it for the remaining nine matches of the season. Um, Arsenal are always capable of sort of bottling it a bit and dropping points. Um, as Jurgen Klopp said about Liverpool, like, it's almost impossible. Oh, no, sorry. Guardiola said, didn't he, about it's almost impossible for them to uh, not drop points. For the rest of the season so anything could happen I think it'll be very very close uh, come the final match day so obviously I'd like to say Chelsea but I genuinely don't know it's an okay like Tottenham might miss out at this rate to be honest so yeah yeah to be fair Tottenham slipping down and we'll, we'll be talking about them in a little bit Tom who do you think is going to grab that top four spot uh, I think the, the only thing to say about Arsenal as well is they've, they've got the easiest running of games I think they've, mm. they've their home their home form is very strong uh, and the teams they were facing away from home now until the end of the season, you'd expect them to get points at least from every game. So um, I think Arsenal will have a good chance. I, th- I personally think it'll be between them and United. I think United's turnaround. This is still the, the first game that Solskjaer's lost since in the Premier League uh, since since he's taken over. And obviously only that, that other loss to PSG is, is the only time he's lost since he's come back. So I think they're, they're still in great form, United, and I think they'll probably push Arsenal for it as well. And like you said, Tottenham, may fall down the rankings as well. Well, let, let's move on over to uh, to Tottenham whilst we're talking about them. A shock upset defeat to Southampton after they were leading by two goals to one. Um, do Spurs have to be really careful here that they don't drop really far off the pace? They're now 13 points off the top, so a title challenge is, is out of the question. But Arsenal are now not too... F- do you think there's any danger that they could be dragged out of the top four? Yes. Either of you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I genuinely think they're right. So, they, you know, drew to Arsenal, lost to Southampton, lost to Burnley. Um, and that's with Harry Kane back, who, you know, everyone was saying, oh, right, well, they'll slump a bit when they're missing Kane and Ali and and, and all that. But they've actually been worse. Um, so, you know, Pochettino needs to give everyone a real kick out of the backside and actually start getting some results soon. Because, like I said, they're a point ahead of Arsenal. If Chelsea win their next match... They're then a, a point behind Tottenham as well. United are only two points behind. It's really close. Um, it's, it is. Like, scarily close. Yeah, and it, I mean, again, from a neutral point of view, it's really exciting. But, um, you know, like I think Tottenham are probably the least informed team out of the top six at the moment. So um, it, they've got to be they've got to be so, so careful and actually start start pumping in some goals because and, and not conceding them as well because they've scored one goal in the last three games I think like in each match um, 
which is great. But if you're conceding two, it's useless. So um, I think they need to tighten up a little bit and and start actually creating some more. One step forward, two step back, indeed. Uh, a word on Southampton, who, I'll be honest, I've not seen James Ward-Prowse have the sort of games that he's having recently. He's really kicked on under Hootel and he's scoring free kicks like he's a little miniature David Beckham. Tom, do, do you think that Southampton are, are favourites now to get out of that relegation fight? Yeah, I think so. I think they, they, their form has turned so well since Harsen take took over. And you've got players like Ward Prowse who are playing with confidence, but uh, Hoiberg, when he's in there as well, and Redmond have played very, very well in recent games. Um, I think Ward Prowse is probably on the verge of an England call up as well. Um, mm. I think I wouldn't be surprised if he's named in Southgate squad tomorrow. He's, I think his last game was against Germany. Um, so he has played, obviously played for England before, but he's another one of these, these young English players. He's, he's had a lot of exposure in the under 21s and under 20s. Um, camps, but I think he probably de- at least deserves uh, on his club form now to be in the England squad itself. But yeah, I, I, I definitely don't put um, put something in that mix. But then I did, I did put Cardiff in that mix, and then they go and have a, an incredible result over the weekend as well. Yeah, true. It seems like that all of the relegation candidates or ones battling for it at least have just massively upturned in form, bar Huddersfield and Fulham. And, and it's, uh, it's going to make for a very interesting race towards the end of the season. Um, one word on the Southampton game. Uh, it was uh, uh, unfortunate that Ryan wasn't on here because I want to get his opinion. But I don't know if either of you saw this. Um, so the free kick that James Ward-Prowse scored, where he took it from and where the foul was committed by Carl Walker-Peters were about five yards different. Really? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you saw this. I'll, I'll get it. I'll get it up on Twitter and, and I'll um, and I'll pin it to the the group. And, and listeners, please feel free to to comment as well what you think. But it looks like just in the heat of the moment, sort of thing. The referee hasn't really realised where the foul's taken place, and and they've moved it forwards again. I'm speculating that it's about five yards, but he's moved it forwards a good amount, and it's and it's been enough for him to to get it in a position that he likes. So I thought that was quite um I thought that was quite an interesting thing to, to talk about. Use his vanishing spray. I, I believe he would have for the wall. So, but surely it's completely the ref's fault then, because you know it's like, it's up to him where he draws the line. And once you've done that, you can't really move the ball forward at all. So um, Yeah, so what I think up to the ref. So what I think happened um was the the free kick came in like sort of a counter attack and it came off the ball as um as one of the Southampton forwards was running through. And I think he gets clipped. And then what happens is he naturally gets clipped and then just rolls forward a little bit. And then in sort of like the the kerfuffle, if that's the right word to use, um, hmm. the referee just doesn't know where the free kick is. And and James Ward-Prowse is, is quick enough to just spot it up where he wants it. And the referees just just let it go on. I thought that was a, that was quite interesting. And I'll, and I'll find that and, and put it to you guys. But... We can't have a discussion on it if no one else has seen it. Just be me talking to myself. (laughs) And that's just called Wednesdays for me. Right, let's move on to another quite surprising result in the end. Brighton beating Crystal Palace away from home. I mean, Brighton don't win many games at the moment, but they sure as hell don't win them away from home. But they beat a very good Palace side by two goals to one. And I'll start this off by saying, did anyone see Anthony Nockyart's goal? No. Yeah, I did, yeah. It's really good. Oh, Oh, just man has got an absolute rocket of a right foot, left foot even. He's got, he's got a shit right foot. 
He's what did so you make of him? Because what, what did you think? Because I, I think he should have been sent off in sort of the first minute of the game. Did you see the, the challenge he put? Yeah, yeah. And and this is something that I I'd be interested to see what what both of you think in terms of is is the the timing of a challenge. Does it matter if it happens in the first minute or the 90th minute? Because I, I think it probably could have been a red card, but I reckon the referee thought it's early doors here. I don't want to send someone off within the first 60 seconds. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, it is completely that. I mean, the Brighton Crystal Palace games, um, they have their, it's, it's a derby in itself, isn't it? So uh, the mm. M23 derby. Uh, they fucking hate, they I, fucking I, hate that. <laughs> And I, I know we'll talk about some more derbies later on, probably in the championship. But I think it's it's been interesting because you do you do try and set a precedent in those type of games. Like, okay, let's stamp it out early. But equally, I think if it is a red card, they're more reluctant to send someone off because then you're like, mm-hmm. well, I've got to send every single bad challenge off for the rest of the game. But I think that was I think that was a red card offence for Nokia. Yeah, no, I I totally agree with you, and I I think like like you said, it's just the fact that the referee does not want to to brandish something that early because then for the rest of the game, all that's in the back of his mind is, shit, I've already sent someone off. If there's even like a half a challenge that could be a red card, I, if I don't send him off, it looks terrible on me. Tim, did you did you catch it? No. Just... So we'll, <laughs> let, let's move on. In. Um, let's move on then. Uh, Brighton obviously beating Palace in that one. Really important for them because they were slowly sliding towards that relegation zone in, in pretty bad form, to be honest. Um, so a big win for them. One thing that I noticed in that one, um, Milohojevic scored a penalty again. And when you've got a man like Milohojevic, who I think has scored more penalties than any other Premier League player since he made his debut, you know he's mm-hmm. gonna he's gonna win you points. So fair play uh, to Brighton for beating a very difficult Crystal Palace side. But let's round off the Premier League action from the weekend with possibly the best comeback I've seen in a while. Everton leading two 0 at St James's Park couldn't hold on as Newcastle battled back to win three two. It's the first time that Newcastle have won a game in the Premier League after going two 0 down since two thousand and three. Mm. Mm. Little, some stats for you. Um, but all right, if we're going to talk about red card tackles, let's talk about the Jordan Pickford one then. Because he, he full-on rugby tackled Solomon Rondon in that game and wasn't, <laughs> show, and wasn't shown a red card. Tom, do you think it was a red? Oh, yeah, like, that was watched... a really bad foul. Oh, what a stupid <laughs> idiot. And he got booked. Yeah, that's fair. Oh, he saved it, though. Yeah, he saved the pen as well. <laughs> Oh, right, okay. Everyone's just linking it to like the spear from WWE. <laughs> but full on, by the laws of the game, if you are trying to go for the ball, if yeah. you're trying to go for the ball, it's not a red card. He was not going for the ball in any stretch of imagination. He drops it, looks at Rondon and goes, ah, fuck. But isn't it, isn't it that double jeopardy thing where if, if it isn't an immediate goal-scoring chance... I mean, maybe it is, but as in my my point is like I thought because it used to be like if 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 you're through and goal and the goalkeeper fouls you, it's a red card. But they changed the rule, didn't they, so that you didn't um, that actually you had to it, the goalie had to like deliberately stop you from scoring. Yeah, and and I think and so the the rule is there is yeah double jeopardy is now gone. So you if you make an honest attempt to play the ball and concede a foul, you can't be sent off for it. But if it's not an honest attempt to play the ball, then you can still be sent off for it. And I don't think that Jordan Pickford is honestly trying to get the ball there because he goes <laughs> right around Solomon Rondon's knees. It's definitely true. It's 
definitely true. You're right. Like, it's like a it's like a wrestling move rather than a, than a yeah. And like I think the the commentator said it was a, a rugby tackle. You'd get sent off in rugby for that. That's not a legal tackle <laughs> in rugby to take out someone's shin bone. <laughs> right. Rugby is rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't the agree with you there. And the title of the podcast, Cest Complete. Enough about rugby tackles and, and other sports. Let's carry on with the uh, the Newcastle-Everton game. One thing that I was uh, I was chatting about at work um, with, with a lot of Newcastle fans that I seem to work with, they said that Jordan Pickford, if you look at him throughout the entire game, he seems so hell-bent on winding up the fans that he probably isn't concentrating on the game. And you know what? With his, the, with his performance, I wouldn't half agree with them. He had a definitely had a game of two halves. I think. I think the second half he was he didn't it, it looked like he wasn't in the right headspace. I, I read online mm. there was there's talk about him, especially after I think the second goal where Perez scored, um, where he sort of dropped the ball and it went straight to into his feet and as a tap in. Uh, I think the confidence he looked a bit confident shot then, and I think mm. he I think he's a confidence player. It sounds it sounds really weird to have that as a goalkeeper, but um, he he does seem to be when he's on his top form he's. He, every, you know, you know he's on his top form. He's he sort of puffs his chest out. He's beat, you know, he's when he was in the penalty shootout against Colombia, he's like hammering the ground when he was making saves. Um, but I, I think he is a confidence player, and sort of when that happens to him, it can really affect his performance. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think, especially for I mean, he probably could have done better with the Rondon goal as well, but especially for the second goal where where he punched it straight to to Perez. Mm. Um, he he had a bit of a, a bit of a shaky game, despite the fact that he made a penalty save and got away with the most obvious red card I've seen in a while. Um, on, on a note on Everton, though, Tim, they are really really slacking off the pace after bringing in Marco Silva and thinking they were going to do absolutely brilliant things. The side has looked very poor. Do, do you think Marco Silva's got to be careful? This summer. I mean, well, there were talks about him getting sacked fairly recently, um, and I think. You know, it's a huge call to to get rid of him because, like, um, it, Watford did well. Anyway, he came from Watford, right, didn't he? He did, yes. Yeah, like Watford did well, but obviously they're doing they're doing better than Everton are this season. But um, you know, it's a huge call to, to sack him, especially now, but um, in the summer because they've you know they've just brought in Richarlison from Watford, who came with him for a heck of a lot of money, who's not performing a huge amount now unlike at the start of the season when he was playing really, really well. Um, and I think Everton in the past, like five or six, have had really serious issues defending. Um, and I'm not sure, like, maybe the manager needs to sort of make his team a bit more structured and organised. I think if they're on form, they can play well. But they're not like the Everton of sort of 10 years ago that were nailed on seventh place and were genuinely challenging top six. Um mm. Not even that long ago. It's probably about seven years ago since they were there. So, um, I don't know. Maybe he needs to kick up the backside from the owners or something and just sort of sort his team out and play more sensible football um, and maybe bring in a couple of defenders because everyone they've brought in recently really hasn't worked for them at all. Yeah, they spent a lot of money. To be fair, Lucas Digne has been very good. I'm I'm not going to say anything bad about Lucas Digne, but Yerry Mean has been off the pace. Andre Gomez has been very hit and miss, though he's been all right in recent weeks. Um, But yeah, a lot of money spent for for maybe not the reward that they thought. Um, He's actually been um, fined 
or he's been charged, I should say, with improper conduct by the FA after he basically said uh, the Newcastle third goal was a clear offside and he like, ran on the pitch and, and talked to the officials after the game, um, which makes the second manager in a week being reprimanded by the FA after improper conduct from uh, Mauricio Pochettino as well. Did any of you hear what apparently Mike Dean said in the report? It's like no, you know I... what you are. Yeah, apparently, apparently Pochettino went up to him and just went, you know what you are, you know what you are, repeatedly. Does he know what he is? <laughs> I'm not sure anyone knows what Mike Dean is. Um, He's classically trained ballroom dancer, mate. I know that for sure. That's like one of those psychological gigs. Like, <laughs> he's he's, he's going to go like, what am I? <laughs> Do I exist? Just starts reading a load of Freud. What is what? truth? Yeah. <laughs> Am I a next, referee? Next, next season, he just thanks him. Like, thank you. <laughs> I, did, I didn't know what I was, but now I do. Thank you very much. <laughs> you made me the man I am today. <laughs> I found myself. <laughs> oh, He's going on a gap yard. Yeah. <laughs> Mike Dean on a gap yard would be absolutely bloody That's brilliant. Netflix's new one-off special. Yeah. <laughs> Mike Dean. Mike. Like, what, was, what was the City documentary like? All or nothing. It's like yeah. Yeah. Dean. Mike like, Dean just follows him around. <laughs> Who I was. <laughs> Mike Mike Dean bouncing back. <laughs> I am oh. what I, I am what I am. Yeah. Right, much much like Mike Dean, we're going to take a gap yard, but for a very short amount of time. When we come back, we will go straight into the championship. We don't delve in there too long, but a couple of derbies and a couple of very interesting things to talk about. See you in a sec. If you're an MMA fan, be sure to check out the new Switchkick podcast. We preview upcoming events, discuss the big UFC and Bellator news, and John from Philadelphia drops in to give us a few betting tips. To listen, search for Switchkick MMA on SoundCloud or Switchkick in the Apple Store. Right, welcome back. And as I said, we're going straight into the championship where two very interesting things happened this week. We'll start with the first one. Uh, a very big derby down in the championship, Aston Villa versus Birmingham. We'll start with the obvious thing before we talk about uh, the shit that was on the pitch. Jack Grealish scored a bloody good goal to win the game. Did anyone see it? Oh, it's so good. So good. Absolutely fair. And Aston Villa played very well in that game, to be fair. Um, as they edged it 1-0, Jack Grealish scoring a very good left-footed goal. But unfortunately, we can't talk about the football as much because we have to talk about something that happened that was Fucking absolutely... Idiot. Exactly. You know what? Couldn't put it any better myself. An abhorrent thing that happened on the pitch. Uh, a fan, obviously. I mean, it's Wednesday now. You will have all seen it many times from many different angles. But fan ran onto the pitch and punched Jack Grealish in the back of the head. And and I'm, I'm just saying, the fact that this man, whoever he is, has only got a 10-year ban from football stadiums is is personally unbelievable. I think it should have been for life and everywhere. But that's just that's just my opinion, Tom. What what did you make of it? Uh, well, he, I mean, it's probably important to say he, he got four, he's got fourteen weeks in prison and he's banned he, from Birmingham City yes. for life. Uh, but yeah, you're right. He's got ten years from the rest of the uh, well, from from I don't know. I mean, I always wonder how they police that. 
Yeah. Like, is it like wanted posters on the inside of turnstiles? But, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, anyway, I, I think, I don't know. I, there's been a lot of, I, I watched Vinnie Jones, which is uh, always, if there's ever any ever any form of violence in football, the news media pr- brings out Vinnie Jones as like the voice <laughs> of reason. But um, the I guess the question for me is, uh, there's been a lot of talk about how this isn't Birmingham City Football Club's responsibility and it's obviously down to the fans. And I, and I do believe that there should be huge deterrence on the fans themselves and, and prison sentences as, as a minimum is, is really important. But I do wonder the fact that you have, Vinnie Jones said, there's a lot of people who are not trained security guards who are, who are stewards at games. And... Mm. I mean, coming from a, sm- a small football team with a very, very small ground, if you wanted to get onto the pitch at Bournemouth, it's very, very easy. Very, very easy. It's literally just jumping one holding. And I imagine that's probably quite similar for most of the grounds in the Premier League because there isn't that... There isn't that... Uh, it's not like Wembley where you have these huge dividers to stop the pitch being separated from the stands. Yeah. And I think that there should be an onus on the clubs to make sure that the, you have the right people who are trained, there are the right deterrents. And... I think the only way you're ever going to be really be able to do that is by having points deductions in a way that if there is ever a disturbance in a game, you have one point taken away. And that would have the effect of obviously the, the club would want to deter it as much as possible. But equally, fellow fans would be saying, no, don't do that because it's going to impact the team rather than just the individual who runs on the pitch. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's abhorrent and it's stupid. And the, Jack Grealish responded in the best possible way you could by scoring the winner in a derby on a day that he was captain as well. So I'm sure he'll never forget it. And my only thing with Aston Villa is how are they not, their squad they have, how are they not <laughs> yeah. in the Premier League? Or how are they not getting near the top of that, that table? Because, I mean, they've got Tyrone Mings, who I think is a Premier League defender. They've got class throughout the whole of that team. And then obviously Greedish for a long time was the, the next top talent in, in English football as well, or Irish football, depends which way you look at it. But um, I think it's really, it's, I don't understand how they're in that league, but, the way he responded is, is is first class, really. Tim, notice how he picked the Bournemouth player out of that Aston Villa lineup as well. <laughs> Tommy Elphick. <laughs> Tommy Elphick also plays for Aston Villa. He used to play for Bournemouth. <laughs> None of your bias here. <laughs> Even in the championship. <laughs> Gets no, it. I, th- I think you're right. I think the, the only other thing they can do is potentially just say anyone that gets anywhere near the pitch, so like what goes over the barrier, and you say it beforehand, will be banned from like every stadium in the country and you will face this certain amount of time in prison for whatever sort of act you're doing. So like it would stop any pitching agency we said you will get two months in prison um, or however long, 14 weeks, if that's a standard thing, for anyone that goes anywhere near the pitch. Um, Because if they know they're going to get that, that's immediately a deterrent. And mm-hmm. I think at the moment, like you could run on, not touch anyone. And yeah, you might get suspended for a bit from the stadium, but you know, you still get your face in the limelight and everyone sort of sees you. Um, but obviously then this guy took it too far and actually went and assaulted a player. Like if you say beforehand to anyone and make it publicly known that, and I think all, all you know, all English, English clubs should do this and just say, you will face this long in prison if you do it and you'll be banned from every club in the country. Um, would, you know, is the only other thing they can do besides, you know, spending more on train security guards and having dividers. But um, you don't want to take away from the sort of atmosphere of grounds 
Because, you know, a lot of Premier League grounds, especially the smaller clubs, like you said, um, have stands that are really close to the pitch and you really feel like you're in the game and you sort of embracing the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. to have big dividers and stuff does take away from it a bit. You just need to ensure that people don't do it with massive punishments. Yeah, no, t- totally agree with, with what both of you are saying. The one thing that I would say that might be difficult to police is the points deduction. I think there should be points deductions because it is the club's responsibility to keep all 23 of those players and everyone else in that stadium safe. But then it becomes too difficult to, to know who to deduct points from because mm. what happens if I was a Manchester United fan and on the final day of the season, we're one point behind Chelsea. What's to stop me getting into Stamford Bridge in the home end running on the pitch? And and just wear a Chelsea shirt, and then yeah, exactly, and then slapping Kepper in the face or something. Yeah. Well, well, not Kepper because I'd be in a Chelsea shirt. But I mean, some some Chelsea fans might want to slap some Chelsea players. I'd imagine, but the, you get my Alonso. point. Like, <laughs> we all know your thoughts on Alonso. But um, no, very um, very uh, important part. I think a very important thing that that football needs to sort out. On a last note on that, did anyone see Jack Grealish's interview afterwards? The man was like, he was smiling from ear to ear. It was absolutely brilliant. He was like, mm-hmm. it's the best day of my life. It's absolutely, it's absolutely, it's absolutely magic. Yeah, I can't. He, he, proud. he should be proud because, you know, he's captain, he scored the winning goal and he had every right to sort of smash the guy to pieces that ran on and mm. like kick him with his studs and, you know, kick his head off. But he didn't. And he, he like Tom said, he responded in the best possible way. So he has every right to be proud and it shows the sort of character he is. Yeah, no, no, to- totally agree with you. And um, and well played for him to, for scoring the winning goal and keeping his cool. Right, let's move on to the second incident in the championship. West Brom drew with Ipswich 1-1, but that's not what we're here to talk about. Darren Moore, manager of West Brom, sacked, despite the fact that his side are fourth in the table and comfortably fourth as well. They're not, it's not like they're fourth by, by a point or so. They're, they're three points ahead of Middlesbrough and six points ahead of Derby in the two places below them. What what do we make of this? Because he's he's a club legend at West Brom for for what he's done. What do we make of his sacking, Tom? I was very surprised I didn't see it coming. I, I honestly I don't follow. I haven't followed the championship that that much this season, so I wasn't sure of where West Brom were in, in in the league positions. But when he saw when I saw he was sacked, I had a look at the table, and to suddenly see them being fourth, I was like, well, what are they sacked him for? And I know they've had a, a little bit of a poor run recently, but their expectations must have been so much higher than what they actually are because to, mm-hmm. to sack someone who's, I mean, so much can change between now and the end of the season. They, they could they could well finish first. Um, and there are some very, very competitive teams in that league as well. So to be fourth in, in itself is an achievement. I think it's pro- probably quite telling who they're looking at. I've seen uh, Jukanovic has been thrown around as well, as well as David Wagner, as, um, the old Huddersfield uh, manager. So they're obviously looking for... They're looking for managers that have obviously proven to take up other teams. However, I do think that Wagner is is a system-based manager, um, so that you don't imagine that would have a sort of an instant impact um, mm. management signing. So maybe they're thinking about next season. But but consi- if if they were mid-table and they were sort of twelfth and they were not going to get in the playoffs, you could understand sacking him. But why sack him now? Why why not wait to the end of the season? Especially how well he performed at the end of last year when they still got relegated. But I was very surprised at the, the news. Yeah, very interesting. I mean, granted, it did come off the back of a one-all draw with bottom of the table Ipswich, but you don't expect that when when a team are fourth. And yes, I think promotion was was the aim at the beginning of the season. 
So in a way, they may be underperforming because they're not in the automatic promotion spots. But they're in the playoffs. I, and, and it's towards the end of the season. I, it's a, a very odd time to sack them as well, isn't it, Tim? Yeah, this is what I don't get. And, you know, whenever clubs sack managers this close to the end of the season, what have they got? Ten matches in the championship left, something like that? Not many at all. Um, I think when you, you, you sack a manager this close to the end of the season, you're doing yourself such a disservice. And, like, it's really not very clever because you've got to, you've got to spend then potentially a week of training trying to get a new manager in who then can't implement whatever they want to do in the space they've got. Like if you sack someone and then you, you know, you've already got someone that comes in the next day who knows the club and whatever, then sure there's some justification behind it, but they haven't, doesn't seem like they've got a plan to bring someone that's like well-established in. And Mm. You'd have thought that the best man for the job to do it is the guy that's managing them. Even if, yeah, like, even if you're 16th or whatever, um, you still, you know, he knows the players and he can have, a, he can change it and try and switch something up. Um, but they're fourth, and you know they've actually been they've been playing good football and they're in with a shout. And if like if they don't get promotion, I think this might be something that they'll look back on and think, what were we doing? Because it doesn't make sense. And, you know, a man who can always change up how he's, how he's playing. If they, if they, you know, desperately did need to change, like they'd only lost, I think what three beforehand and then this. So, um, mm. there's definitely steps you can take before sacking a manager, but, um, it's done now and we'll, we'll have to wait and see till the end of the season to see if they rue this decision. Yes, they may well indeed rue it if they don't uh, do something, at least in the playoffs. Right, that's going to about wrap things up. So let's move on to talking points, a fun little feature at the end. I'm going to start it off this week, if you don't mind. One thing that I didn't put on the running order because I only saw it a few hours ago, and this is bloody mint. You never guess who's won the Young Irish Player of the Year. (laughs) I know this one. (laughs) Tim? I've no idea. It's Declan Rice. <laughs> Declan famously switching allegiance oh, to England. Dear. Rice has won Ireland's young player of the of the year. That's a bit of a kick in the teeth. The the greatest thing about this is is the fact that at the end of the of the article that I read, it just says but Rice won't be in Dublin to collect his award. And I was thinking, of <laughs> there's no way he's going anywhere near that award <laughs> ceremony. Oh, but um, that's one, that's one uh, absolutely very oxymoronic. Is that the right word for it? Probably not. It's just a big word, but it's very interesting indeed. <laughs> Tim, have you got anything? Uh, I've got a few. Um, first of which, big news that uh, Zidane has taken back the Real Madrid job. Classic. Um, after 10 months after he left because they didn't do things his way and now he's back <laughs> because they're not doing very well. Um, it's ridiculous. It's not very good news for me because it probably means that Hazel will go and apparently they want Kante as well, so fuck them. But <laughs> um, yeah, just a bit just a bit ridiculous. Um, we, I mean, we saw Monaco do exactly the same thing earlier um, this season. So yeah, I don't know what they were thinking, but they might be able to turn it around a little bit. Um, in the next few weeks yeah you know at, uh, in Premier League half time uh, clubs often put uh, events on a, um, on the pitch to either entertain the fans or give them a chance to go on the pitch and enjoy themselves yeah. um, Chelsea did this uh, at the weekend at Stamford Bridge 
um, brought a load of kids on to take some penalties. And they were all dressed up in their little kits, like they were like four or five years old. Uh, but clearly the ground staff weren't informed and turned the sprinklers on, drenching absolutely everybody on the pitch, including all the kids, the parents, and the person <laughs> in goal as well. Um, not, the, not the great, not the highest moment from the, uh, the club there. Tom, you got any? Well, I've been relatively disappointed since listening to the podcast while I've, whilst I've been away um, that the Soul Train has had absolutely <laughs> no exposure. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't stop, mate. It was on. No. <laughs> Straight There's journey. been no stops in the train. It's, it's, it's a cross-country service. Unfortunately, Macclesfield are doing what, absolutely terribly. Um, so <laughs> they surprise. are now... Uh, their second bottom in League Two, they're in the relegation zone, obviously with the danger of going into non-league football. They are one point ahead of Notts County bottom of the table and six points behind Yeovil above them. So Sol is going to have a real big uh, ask of him in the in the final. Uh, I guess there's eight eight games left in the in the. Uh, no, no, I lied. There's ten games left in League Two this season. Uh, uh, but as as a note, a, a poor performance today. Their game against Exeter has been postponed because of a waterlogged pitch. But we all hope that that can turn around. And hopefully Sol will be bringing a train back to Macclesfield soon. Yeah, we'll, we'll make sure to schedule more stops for the coming week uh, on the Game Time podcast <laughs> as well. Um, two more things that I want to say before, before we round it off. Notts County lost to Cheltenham. I don't know if anyone else saw this. They, they lost 4-1 to Cheltenham. And the commentator managed to fit 10 horse racing puns into a 90-second commentary. <laughs> 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 it's absolutely with Cheltenham races this week, this week I guess it is, it is beautiful that's called beautiful beautiful journalism um, <laughs> some of the, it's, I think he started off with saying uh, Notts County found the, the going heavy at Cheltenham and I was like it, it's, got, it's all sail ahead here we're all good just keep on powering through um, <laughs> and the final thing that I wanted to mention as well um, you mentioned that we hadn't had a stop on the soul train for a while. Charlie Daniels hasn't been mentioned for a while, but luckily, luckily the Chronicle Live gave me this absolute beautiful piece of information. Uh, the, the Bournemouth defender grew up being a Newcastle fan. Didn't realise this. Do, do you know why he grew up being a Newcastle fan, Tom? No idea, no idea. I used to watch a lot of players like Ginola, Asperilla, Les Ferdinand, the entertainers, and my dad used to watch Alvida St. Pet a lot. So growing up, <laughs> me and my brother used to watch that. And that's his reason. The popular Geordie sitcom Alvida St. Pet made him a Newcastle fan. What a man. What a man. Oh, it's absolutely wonderful. Right. That is going to call an end to this episode. Guys, as always, thank you very much for joining me. Cheers, mate. See you later. Bye. See you next time. See you next week. Remember, you can get in touch with us on Twitter or on Gmail. Just head on over to our Twitter page, GameTime underscore podcast, and all the information's there. Until next week, bye. <laughs>